0: Pat's Interference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So We're going to go behind the curtain. I don't know why there's always a curtain. Uh, to start this episode here, recording Monday afternoon, May 22nd, the Patriots have started OTA practices today. Yes, very exciting. Uh, no pads, no contact, but they're on the field, seven on sevens, nine on nines. Yes, those are a real thing. And 11 on 11s. The first practice media will get to attend Is on Thursday. I will have a full recap. They usually run 1,500 to 2,000 words on there studs, duds, play of the day, breakdowns, personnel groupings, a little bit of scheme stuff. You're not allowed to really go deep on the X's and O's. You can find that in the bostonherald.com later on Thursday. I will not have a recap episode of what we saw at OTAs on Friday, A, because there's only so much you can take from these. We covered this last episode. If you really want to know what OTAs are like, Go listen to James White, who was outstanding on our last episode. The second thing is, if you put a lot of stock into all the reports, and it's worthwhile, we want to let you know what's going on, take you with us, you know, my press pass is your press pass, to these practices. Last year, you would have thought Trey Nixon is headed for a 1,000-yard season instead of the practice squad for his second straight year. Of course, that's where he ended up. It's because you can't really learn about football until they put the pads on. They won't put the pads on until training camp and the second week of training camp as it is, it doesn't mean OTAs aren't valuable. It's just, in my opinion, not worth my time. And especially for one OTA practice uh, on the precipice of my wedding, which is this Sunday. So now fully behind the curtain, behind us, whatever metaphor you want to use, I have recorded a couple episodes this week that will run in the subsequent weeks during OTAs. So you won't get a full OTA breakdown here. The media are only allowed into three out of the nine or so practices, then we'll be there for every single step of mini camp. When a, it's mandatory, so everyone has to be there, and b, it is intense and physical, and as close to football as we get in the spring. That's June twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. I will have a full recap of those practices here in this podcast and at thebostonherald.com and pretty much anywhere you want to see me. It might be Ei that week, a little bit of TV. Who knows? So. I will be away, wedding, honeymoon during OTAs, not intensive recaps. I don't think you're missing a whole lot. Still please read. And of course, all the great reporters I work alongside. But if you really want to know what's going on, minicamp is the last big week of the offseason. Then we're on to training camp. So that's just late May in the NFL. What we're gonna to do today instead on a shorter episode, and we still have some more guests. Again, these episodes are pre-recorded. Fitzy's back, Andy Hart, a couple more, uh, is a solo one. This episode. Features you at home, because I asked for mailback questions and said we're going to do an all mailback episode here today. I'm really curious what's on your mind as the draft is over, free agency is months ago. Last season finally is fading into the rear view uh, as we push ahead into 2023. So whatever you wanted to know, I wanted to be able to answer. We have nine questions, surely eight. We had a little bit of overlap. Going to answer them all today and then get out of here until Thursday with OTAs and then officially gone for close to two weeks. So... Here's what you want to know, starting with Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence, loyal listener, wants to know, are there any June 1st cuts that the Patriots could pick up? He called these June 1st for the folks that don't know because June 1st is a weird day in the NFL offseason, strictly for accounting purposes. If a player gets traded or cut after June 1st, you know the team that parted ways with that player gets to spread out any sort of uh, salary cap hit over a couple of years as opposed to one. Teams can also as some did back in March, including the Dolphins with Byron Jones, cut a player then, but designate him as a post-June 1st cut. And that way, Byron Jones has not been with the Dolphins since he you know, was kind of talking trash, tweeting trash about them and how they handled his injury. Um, but he won't count all in their books here in 2023. It'll be spread out over multiple years. And so it used to be that you'd have different players. Julio Jones, a good recent example, a couple of years ago, Get cut after June one, and this was a big deal. You could pounce on some late talent in case free agency didn't go your way. It's not as much anymore, but it's still an important day in the calendar, which is why, of course, Lawrence Assets. Now, my question, uh, that my answer to this question is that uh, I don't think there are any June first cuts that the Patriots are going to be interested in. Number one, it's a pretty dense free agent market now as it is. Jadavian Clowney, Zico Elliott's still out there. Just in terms of the big names, not necessarily players the Patriots would be interested in. I think, as we said multiple times in this podcast, the Patriots are higher on themselves than everyone else is on the outside. And when push comes to shove, they're going to go with the younger, more valuable, cost-controlled player, like signing Justice Tavai last week after rookie minicamp, as opposed to any one of these vets who's going to come in with expectations and they need a roster spot. Now you might go, what about DeAndre Hopkins? Because that cap hit would go lower if Arizona cut him after June 1st as opposed to beforehand. I think ultimately the Cardinals will get something in a trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Do I think it comes to New England? No, but that would be a last worst case scenario uh, for the Cardinals in dealing with a guy that we've been talking about potentially being traded out for four months. I don't think it's going to happen. There are players still out there the Patriots could sign. After they finish with the rookie class, they'll have, a last time I checked, around $10 million in cap space. That's enough to handle all of your in-season expenditures, You know, signing injury replacements off the street, any trades where you're taking on a little bit more salary whatever the deal might be. And so I think they'd like to stay at that number going into the summer at 10 million. If something surprises them, will they make a call? Of course, that's what what happens all the time. Trades, cuts, whatever it might be. They'll make calls, but I think they're good with the roster they have now. They've gone younger. You look at all the players they sent last year, not only just from their rookie class, but undrafted players. They, of course, love their new rookies coming in. They just want to see them develop. They trust that talent, their evaluations. And uh, the guys on the outside, Probably going to stay on the outside. Foodie guy is asking, are many in the media underestimating the positives of real offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, of course, referring to Bill O'Brien, Nadrian Klump. I don't think so. I mean, it's all we've been talking about. I don't think there's an offensive coordinator or an offensive line coach, maybe just offensive assistant in the league. That's gotten more press than Bill O'Brien. And this was before I remember doing segments on TV in December, talking about Bill O'Brien still coming here before you know, Alabama's last season uh, was cold, okay, and finished. And so, yes, the main reason for optimism entering the season is not signing Juju Smith-Schuster or adding James Robinson or running it back on defense with the top five unit. It's adding a guy who was last year in 2011 in Bill O'Brien and what he's going to do for this offense. And I think You know, it will be obviously an improvement. We've talked about this before. Every single player on that team is going to feel, regardless of position, we're going to have a more coherent system, you know, a run and pass game that are married up. It's just a matter of how much impact can that make if your talent, as we've discussed, is still probably fourth out of four teams in the division, knowing you have to find and manufacture some edges. And we won't know what that looks like, given Adrian Klein hasn't coached in the NFL for three or four years, did a good job at the University of Oregon, really veteran laid in line, only allowed five sacks. But- They've gotten plenty of press time. So it's either because you are more convinced than anybody else that this is going to boost them up to, you know, 10 wins or more. Or the fact that we haven't seen this much of a change in Foxborough, certainly, to understand, okay, this is the boost you're going to get. Obviously, it's going to be some sort of boost. We know there's improvement to be made from Matt Patricia and Joe Judd. The only direction you can go is up. How high? That's up for debate. Um, And if you think it's, you know, appreciably more than what you've heard, good for you i don't know i think it's worth probably a win or two but the difference between a win or two in the nfl is so thin that as i said before this could be an eight nine team. it's appreciably better than last year you just don't see it in the record because the schedule in case you missed it is the number one hardest in the nfl all right gary another long time listener uh which non-special teams player will be most impacted good or bad by the team's offseason love this question This is, (laughs) it felt like a cop-out when I put this down, but I think it's the honest answer. It's Mac Jones. It's for the exact reasons that we just talked about. Bill O'Brien, Adrian Clem. Mac Jones was spooked. Like Halloween had been moved up two months at the end of August, mind you, when he's in a red jersey and can't get touched during these training camp practices. And he was ducking for pressure, running away from it, imagining it. And there was nothing he could do to prevent that from affecting his play throughout the rest of the year when we saw him be the worst quarterback under pressure according to pro football focus in the entire league aside from zach wilson with adrian clement now you figure these breakdowns and protections after they changed the scheme a little bit last year for whatever reason because that's what matt patricia could could coach I, I suppose that mac jones Will feel more confident in his offensive line. He'll feel more confident in the passing attack and the running game and the play action passing that looks like it could be run or pass until the last second. And he's pulling the ball, the ball out. And he's not booting around like they're running this kind of fake Rams offense. So he'll be better. Another year of experience, more chemistry with his weapons, a real offensive coordinator, and line coach. Secondary answer I would go with Trent Brown. I think Trent is going to have better buy in than he did last year when Matt Patricia was trying to straddle the line between offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. Trent was also in a contract year. The exact time and place you want for Brown, if you're a fan of his football team, uh, to be in because it tends to get the best out of him. So if he buys into what Adrian Clem is selling, and so far we've heard from Riley Reef and Calvin Anderson, who granted are not going to trash their new teams in their first new press conferences when we talk to them as media you know, every other week. They're sold on Adrian Clem to start, which again, real football is still months away, but that's a good start for a new guy coming in who doesn't have many ties except for the fact that this is the team that drafted him and has otherwise gone on and mostly coached in college. If Riley Reef is sold as a guy who's been in the league 34 entering year 12 or 13 or whatever it is, there's no reason that Trent Brown shouldn't be. And especially in a contract year. So I think that's a big boost for him. All right. The 12th musket. He calls this an early, but fun question. We call this way too early question. Who would you look for in a mid season trade for the Patriots, both sending out, and bringing in okay people who could be or players who could be on the way out midseason trade again this depends on injury this depends on how well the patriots are doing if you're one and five and looking to sell this is a different conversation versus five and one four and two four and three whatever it might be kendrick mourn is the easy name okay final year of his deal he has multiple coaches across the league that he has worked with before or have been in the same old system than he was with uh with the 49ers or even ex-patriots coaches who can envision him you know, copying and pasting him into their system. And I think from what I've heard so far that Kendrick Bourne is in much better shape entering this spring, we'll see if this holds into training camp. But if he plays well and isn't the fifth best receiver coming out of camp like he was last year before we all pin this on him being in Matt Patricia's doghouse, just based on performance alone, targets and catches and training camp practices for three weeks, he should be in the mix. He'll be attractive to other teams in a place that he really wasn't last year Uh, aside from the fact that he was merely available so i think it's about five and a half million dollars uh on this year last year of his contract extra players coming in same qualifiers you don't want to hear who knows what the death looks like the injuries the standings but i'll throw a couple names at you anyway steven nelson again we're looking at guys who are positions in need potentially for the patriots and we'll just throw in a contract year which depresses their trade value but if you're the patriots and you're going for it you're bringing this one player you feel like maybe that puts you over the edge to be a contender, but boosts your win probability or your chances enough where you're in the mix and not as in, okay, we're going to play one wild card game and get bounced, but we can advance and make some hay. Steven Nelson, veteran cornerback with the Texans. Um, I mentioned this name before, Michael Davis with the Chargers. The only way Michael Davis becomes available is if JC Jackson rounds back into form, both from a health standpoint and performance because both were a train wreck for him last year with the chargers but davis 28 played man and zone coming off of a career year if the chargers go we can't pay him next year because we got to pay justin herbert and we just push back some of keenan allen's money and all these different things maybe they ship him off if jc jackson is back uh to his old self and some of their younger corners they draft the last few years and the patriots go we'll take him because jack jones got in trouble or we moved john jones to safety or he's at back at Nickelback. You need another outside corner, I think, if you want to feel great about this group. And that's all assuming that Christian Gonzalez is good to go, which I think he'll be great, but who knows? Last one, Gerald Everett, another you know position of, of potential need for the Patriots right now, it's Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki, unless you're a big Matt Sokol fan, and congratulations on being the big Matt Sokol fan <laughs> in the entire world. Uh, Gerald Everett, still not 30 yet, more of a receiving tight end, but has at least played in line you know, someone that they might feel is expendable depending on the young players behind them. Um, but we'll see. that the, These are conversations, as you know, is the guy who asked this question, uh, are still way, way too early. But fun. Anyway, Pats fan Kev is asking, could Marcus Jones play free safety? He says maybe it's a Tyron Matthew type. He's too good of a player to keep off the field. But, quote, obviously, Gonzalez and John Jones are going to get playing time. Jack Jones and Marcus seem like they're vying to be cornerback three. And Jack is a little more hype for the boundary. Sure does all of uh three inches which which matters a lot there when you're talking about jump balls just ask marcus when he was trying to defend t higgins and jamar chase who got attention immediately in that christmas eve game against the Bengals last year now could he play free safety sure full time no and that's fine because this is a position that he took all of one snap in last year so it's hard to see a full pivot for him now you go oh well he played it in college Look, the Big 12 is a little bit different than the AFC East in the NFL as a whole. I think Marcus's future here is as a nickelback, though the number of snaps that he played at outside corner, granted most of this was in reaction to the injuries they had at the decision, last year suggests the Patriots are more confident in his abilities to stay outside than maybe most. So ultimately, the first domino that needs to fall is John Jones, who has one inch on Marcus Jones at five foot nine, but much more experience at safety, obviously nickelback. Last year, played outside corner, did a solid job. Getting roasted by Justin Jefferson is not any sort of grand sin or disappointment. It's just what happens when you line up across from the man long enough in a football game. I just think when you look at the 50-50 splits that were early on for Marcus Jones in terms of his snaps played in the slot and outside, they like him at one of those two positions moving forward. But he also could be someone that they move around the secondary, a la John Jones, depending on whenever they need to plug a leak due to injury, bad performance, because he can play multiple spots. You just might need to hide him a little bit due to the height uh, and and, and concerns, you know, also about being inexperienced. This, This guy, like we discussed, Mac Jones last year, even in Christian Barmore, these year two leaps are not guaranteed, okay? Very good rookie year. All pro returner as a rookie. Outstanding. Defensively, still need to see a little bit more before you go. This guy's playing free safety or slot. Or outside corner or any of those spots. Okay, Tony, does the rookie tackle they drafted last year, this is Andrew Stuber, seventh round pick in Michigan, have any chance of making the team? Tony says all I can remember is he had good size. Yes, Andrew Stuber is a giant human being, six foot six, three hundred twenty-five pounds. He's out of Michigan. Uh, going back through some of his uh, metrics and NPFF numbers and looking at some of the tape that I watched last year, his pass protection got much better. 2020 to 2021 he was a two-year starter at right tackle for michigan one of the better offensive lines in the country during those seasons he got hurt between getting drafted in training camp didn't take a snap but did return to practice late in the year and is right now after you know big names calvin anderson and riley reef the forgotten man in the conversation of who's going to start opposite trent brown do i think he has any chance to make the team yeah sure is that chance good no, <laughs> because of the aforementioned veterans who Riley Reef got money to make the team. Calvin Anderson, two-year, $7 million deal. It's not huge, but you're also not banking on a seventh-round pick. Now, I can say this for Andrew Stuber, in addition to being a giant human being, smart kid, experienced, strong, and there are people who thought maybe they can move him to guard in the pre-draft process. I think he's a little bit big for the Patriots' liking there. Obviously, you've got two starters entrenched, and they just drafted three guys who could all back up in the interior. So it doesn't seem likely, but if come second, third week of training camp, you know, he's among the better performing offensive tackles. They're not going to stop him from getting some first team snaps. Like you're going to see a lot of rotation. I think it's specifically that position. So whoever shines earliest, don't forget about the people behind them because camp is always longer than we think or feel. Then you get through the preseason. If Andrew Stuber holds up, he could absolutely be on this team. I just, as we sit now, May 22nd, no, no, of course, he's on the outside looking in right now. Uh, Ashley wants to know, Andrew, what positional battles are you looking forward to the most and who could you potentially see as a surprise cut before the season starts? All right, position battle number one for me, and then there's a huge gap, almost don't care about the rest, is corner. Uh, Mention these names already. Christian Gonzalez, Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones. Not only is it that these positions will see a lot more action, specifically in OTAs, because again, you are not hitting... You're not real full 11 on 11s, you know, at at full speed and contact and all that. But you can still get good reps in sevens, you know, three-quarter speed, skeleton drill, whatever you want to talk about at corner versus receiver. You know, there's real urgency here. There are starting jobs up for grabs. And also, does John Jones stick there? Does he go back to safety? We don't know. But I think the Patriots will feel very good about Christian Gonzalez and Jack Jones if they end up starting because John Jones is elsewhere. If one of those two falter, either because you're a rookie or a second-year player who's not been the most reliable person on earth the last few seasons, they'll keep John Jones there, I believe. But we need to see that. Ultimately, between the new, fresh, young, first-round talent, rising second-year player, steady veteran, I would love to see how this all shakes out. In addition to a player we already mentioned, uh, Marcus Jones. Surprise cut. Lawrence Guy... I think he, he meets the threshold here, right? Like if Lawrence guy gets cut, you might not care so much at home because you're not watching the specifics of you know, him play the two-eye or shade over the nose or kick out sometimes. a five technique when they're in a three-four front. But that's a guy who's been a veteran and a leader in a run stuffer here. I just look at his contract, his age, some of the depth behind him. Let's say Sam Roberts takes a lead in year two. a former six-round pick. Maybe he becomes expendable. I don't know. Kendrick Bourne would be the other one, but I think it would take a bad training camp again from him because you have better um, depth there. Guys like Parker and Juju are going to make the team. Tyquan Thornton isn't going anywhere. And it looks like you'll, you know, DeMario Douglas could be in the mix. Keyshawn Booty, who everyone wants to talk about. We'll see. Just from a money standpoint though, those two would catch my eye as multi-year contributors now for the Patriots who you would think are pretty, pretty on firm ground, but we'll have to see uh, come this summer. Carlos had the same question, what position battles are you uh, most looking forward to watching during OTAs and train camp? I said it's corner and then everybody else, partly because offensive tackle doesn't bring a whole lot of like sexy to the football conversation there in camp. Offensive tackle is going to mean a lot. But since we just talked about the receivers, I'll throw them out there too. It's not because I have this firm belief that Kayshaan Booty is going to outshine and go back to his 2020, um, yourself as a freshman at LSU, setting all these records. But there's a depth there. That we really haven't seen the last couple of seasons, and that includes last year when I I was saying that, where at least they've got some numbers. They're going to try to figure their out. Lo and behold, Nelson Aguilar goes back into witness protection after week two, and his touchdown against the Steelers. Tech one Thornton never really shines. Some development, some some you know signs details here there were better as the season went on, but ultimately, I think the depth there has never been better. You've got some surprise candidate. You've got some entrenched veterans. You've got a new veteran and Juju. How does he look? It's not as much of a competition, I think, in the sense that corner will be, but the talent there and the the kind of freshness is certainly going to be really intriguing. Okay, last question comes from Fernando. Do the lack of offseason changes on offense compared to the changes on special teams mean Bill blames last year's offense entirely on coaching? So I think he's referring to uh, a couple of different things. Chad Ryland, Bryce Berenger coming in as the new kicker and punter, most likely, respectively. Um, Chris Board signing for agency, linebacker for the Lions. Last year, Bill called the, the best special teams player they'll see all season. He's now in the building. And offensively, you swap out Jacoby for Juju, add James Robinson, um, get Johnny Smith out of town, sign Mike Kosicki. You're not running it bad. You've upgraded those positions, but not in such a meaningful way that we all expected. So does it, it all fall on coaching? No. But I think Belichick has come around. To believe, like the rest of us saw and expected to happen, that coaching was the biggest problem. Uprooted Matt Patricia, who was going to be reassigned if he wanted to come back, didn't goes to the Eagles. Joe Judge, uprooted after one year as a quarterback's coach, back over to special teams, and will handle assistant head coach duties, whatever those end up being. So it's not entirely on coaching. He would never say that, especially the way we all reported and discussed his interactions with Mac, Mac blowing up on the sidelines, Kendrick Bourne in their eyes being out of shape last year. Uh, and some, you know, underwhelming performances in the offensive lineman. Okay. Even if everyone was playing to their maximum potential, they wouldn't have gotten there as a group because of the coaching. But I think there's an argument to be made that yeah, certain players could have done better last year. And so Belichick seeing the whole picture and being around everyone day to day to day to day sees that as well. Now the good news is not only just the coaching has been changed, but as I will cover in our next episode with Fitzy recorded, um, There are many players in this roster who are in a contract year, including Kendrick Bourne, including Trent Brown, including guys like Josh and Kyle Duggar, who had career seasons last year and could be headed for better things. I think that is being under discussed in a way that will offset if Bill O'Brien's impact isn't as immediate or significant as we all think, because these guys need to take care of their business individually and collectively. And that is something that for the Patriots, could force them to make really difficult decisions in 2024 when again they have the second most cap space in the league. Who knows how they're going to use it or not? But everyone, whether it's the bad taste of last year still in their mouths or looking ahead to 2024 and wanting to really cash in, as the cap will go up again with this influx of new TV money, has every reason to be motivated enough to play their best football in 2023, which is yet another reason why I'm higher than the Patriots than I think consensus right now, seven and a half wins. Over under total at FanDuel, the official sponsor of the Pats Interference Podcast and exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network is an easy over for me, and I'm going to keep banging that drum. So that'll do it for this episode. Great to hear from all of you what you wanted to know about. Again, you will next hear from me in a couple episodes coming up, more big picture stuff, some gimmicky fun draft uh, with Fitzy and Andy Hart, and then Minicam, June 12th, boots in the ground, hard reporting. Receiver, cornerback one-on-ones, quarterback completion percentage, drops, studs, duds—all that great stuff coming to you soon. It starts with Thursday's OTA, which will be fun, but the real stuff comes in June, with the mini camp. I'll have a ring on my finger. How about that? All right, till next time, guys. We'll see you.